They all got together for tea, and on the stairs, Lord Antrim, he's chairman of the trust, you know, you know, is this organised? Hello, hello, garden lovers, and welcome to another episode of Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. Now, how proud am I to say that we are now very kindly sponsored by the amazing team at My Window Box. They've got beautiful period style and modern window boxes in cast aluminium and steel with drop-in or freestanding troughs that match. If you go and have a look at their website, mywindowbox.com, you can bring the garden to your window. And thank you guys very much for looking after us. This time, I talked to former head of gardens for the National Trust, John Sales. John took over the department from Graham Stewart Thomas, and one of the things we talk about is Graham's legendary work ethic and his love of a clean car. You'll see. It might be possible you haven't heard of John Sales, but when you hear the names of the people he met, worked with, and knew as friends, you begin to realise the importance of his work and the lasting effect it's had on the gardens of the Trust. John's just released his book, Shades of Green, My Life as the National Trust's Head of Gardens, and that's available now in all good bookshops. Let's get straight into it. It's a two-part interview loaded with buckets of history, horticultural heroes, gardens, and a trug full of fascinating facts built up over a lifetime in the world of gardens. Our regular feature of a product review will follow, and part two of our talk will be available in a few weeks' time. Back with John Sales, I ask him about the early years of his life. Well, I was born in London, curiously, yeah. and uh, in Shepherd's Bush, uh, in the days when Shepherd's Bush was a low-class sort of place. Now it's very expensive. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and uh, but I was a very much a wartime child, so I moved around a lot. I was evacuated uh, to Yorkshire when I was six, and, uh, and then back again to London, and then back to Yorkshire when the buzz bombs came, yes. and then... Uh, uh, curiously, uh, strangely enough, back to London again, and I passed my eleven plus, which uh, amazed everybody, including me. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was sent down to uh, Exmouth in Devon, uh, which uh, was a total contrast. You imagine with East Yorkshire and a two up, two down little cottage. Uh, to uh, and then London and then uh, so I got used to being moved around. Yes. Uh, and uh, so uh, th- that was for a school that was based in central London. I, I, we were just I was just told to go and uh, and this was uh, Westminster City School, uh, not to be confused with the posh one that cost <laughs> you a fortune. Uh, uh, it's a grammar school still there in Palace Street, Westminster. And about which turns out to be about a quarter of a mile from where the National Trust had its headquarters. Oh, really? So I went and worked for the bloke next door, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, I see. Yeah. So obviously, you say wartime. That was a time of grow your own. Did you get a horticultural bug early in life? No, no, absolutely not. Um, what uh, I I can't really trace my. Um, Interest, but all I know is that I've always been fascinated by things that grow, it's a sort of creative process, and that has always interested me. But exactly when I got the bug, um, 
I never thought of it. No, you don't think of things as careers, do you, when no. you're a child? But um, I suppose uh, it was probably when I was at Exmouth in Devon, we were billeted, as it were, with various people. Like we, I stayed with a, a headmaster and, uh, and his wife, who was also a teacher, and they had a very good garden. A suburban garden, but a very good one and very precisely looked after. And they had uh, all sorts of wonderful things in that garden. And I remember the apples very well. They had <laughs> apples like James Grieve and uh, Charles Ross and all these wonderful apples. And I always loved, I loved the names. <laughs> yes. And I wondered who they were, you know. So, uh, but then, of course, moved on and uh, that. And I think that's probably where. I got the idea, and also we were, the school was moved into a country house, which was actually in the middle of what is now Exmouth. It's knocked down, and it's a housing estate, and that had a, a big garden, a big park, as it were, a small park, but it was a big one for me. And it had big things, you know, conifers, and it had uh, pampas grass. I've loved pampas ever since. I'm glad you yes. see them in the garden. And, uh, so and unfashionable. Absolutely. I love unfashionable things. Yes. You know? I mean, everybody loves grasses. Yeah. And it, it's curious, isn't it? That, uh, I just think, you know, if you've got the space, you need the space. Yes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they are a wonderful plant. And... Uh, so, and I think uh, that sort of had dawn, you know, all that rubbed off. That's mm. where I got it all from, I yes. think. My mother was sort of a gardener uh, in a sort of erratic way, uh, but we lived in central London. And when I went back to London, uh, my parents were shopkeepers business people let property to people and there was always some kind of crisis or some kind of big deal going on and uh, there wasn't time to even to do anything you know about about gardening so uh, yes. so that I, I don't know where I got it from was I think um, somebody said why don't you, I was I did lots of evening and weekend jobs rather than school work, so I was very bad at school, um, and I got a job at a weekend job at a nursery in Twickenham, which was an old-fashioned pot plant nursery. Obviously, no longer there. It's been sold for buildings and for, but um, and they had wonderful old coke boilers and uh, hot houses and we used to grow things like um, uh, um, heaths uh, cape cape heaths which used to be grown a lot in those days but they would be bought in and potted up and then forced for uh for the christmas market you hardly see them now mm. um but also things like begonias, which were highly labour-intensive, um, pot plant ones, um, and uh, you know, cyclamen, and that sort of stuff. And that's where I really got interested in uh, is a career. And it, until then, I was a very bad student. Um, I nearly got thrown out of the school um, because I didn't do enough work. Um, and... Um, uh, from then on, I, I 
thought, what what do you have to do to be a, you know, a, a what sort of subjects? And so I, they said science, and they said, you know. So I started working and uh, started doing, but by then I was a bit behind in things like maths, so, as you'd expect. Um, but uh, I managed to get a pretty decent, uh, what would be called O, uh, GCSEs or O levels or whatever they. Mm. It was in those days it was school cert, uh, and um, yeah, I, I managed to do rather well to everybody's surprise and mine. Um, they, you know, I could have gone, could always have gone to university, but in those days very few people did, and um, the the kids in my school would be. I mean, the teachers thought I was completely insane wanting to go into a horticulture. They'd even heard of it. Um, you imagine middle London, um, because 90% of the kids went straight into office jobs in the city or in, in London, because they were grammar school kids. And, uh, you know, uh, so what do they do? They, uh, they went to, to work for a bank or a building society or insurance or something like that. And the other 10% went to um, the university. And that would nearly always be Oxford or Cambridge or in one of those old-fashioned universities, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, and that was 10% of a grammar school. <laughs> you can imagine that now. It's, now it, it's 100%. Yes. Otherwise, they, get, <laughs> they don't get anybody. Do they? And so it, it's, a, it's a different world. You know? So that interest... Um, took you on to Kew, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes, I went to, after, I went and worked in horticulture after that, um, commercial horticulture, because I didn't know what else there was, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, I worked in at a place called Swanley, um, where, which was a big nursery area in those days, and is still there quite a few nurseries there. And uh, with a with a college uh, at uh, Swanley, and we uh, and uh, I spent a year in a nursery. Uh, I quite enjoyed it, growing cut flowers mostly. I still grow them now. Uh, spray chrysanthemums, old-fashioned spray chrysanthemums. You don't see them very often now, do you? No. lovely things. I grow them every year, and they're nothing like the things they grow. Uh, but spray chrysanthemums, I always grow the singles. Uh, and uh, but you know uh, it's just nostalgia really. But um, uh, I, I do think they're a wonderful plant, a wonderful cut flower. Uh, anyway, so uh, yes, I and uh, after that uh, I went into national service. Um, uh, I worked a little bit at the college before that as well as as a ordinary gardener, and did I did a bit of day release as you'd call it now. Um, and then went into the RAF as a national service, and again, a cushy number, nothing. <laughs> you weren't flying Spitfires. <laughs> no, I, again, my my aim was to was sort of under the radar as far as the as far as the. Uh, I, it was my ambition always to get into a, a billet. And for the corporal or the sergeant not to know my name. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, as soon as they know your name, they start shouting it. It's a, so I, I succeeded in that. I was 
totally opaque, totally transparent as far as I not too good, not too bad, not anything. Just, uh, but I got a cushy dump. I went to Malta and uh, worked in air traffic control, which was, you know, very straightforward. Um, interesting and, uh, you know, uh, and easy. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. And that really. was two years? Two years. Two years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't go back to the RAF. <laughs> <laughs> it was not my scene. <laughs> but, uh, it was painless. Yes. Yeah. In that way. Let's move on yeah. beyond Q, because we yeah. could probably talk about for hours about that on its own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you go straight from Q to the Trust? Uh, no, no. I went to Rittle as a, as, oh, a, okay. as, a, yes. as a lecturer. I mean, I was just looking for a job. Uh, but while I was at Q, uh, the aim was really to get my what used to be called the National Diploma in Horticulture in those days is now called M Hort RHS, which I examined actually a lot later on. But uh, I managed to achieve that while I was there, which was quite an important thing because it put me in a different salary bracket in, uh, to put me in uh, competition, you know, with uh, with other things. But uh, you could get a job as a lecturer. And I got a job uh, at, um, after a little while working in parks work, um, Ealing Parks Department, I went to um, to Kew, to uh, Rittle, uh, as an assistant lecturer. In those days, uh, most horticultural education at the colleges was for commercial horticulture. And um, uh, the college at uh, Rittle was mainly agriculture, two-thirds agriculture, so one-third horticulture. And of the horticulture, there was no special course on ornamental horticulture, which is well, what they would call ornamental, uh, amenity or whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, so I was the kind of tag hand, you know, the, <laughs> the one who filled in all. And I, I had my own little courses that I taught, but they were always to students who were basically mainly doing commercial horticulture so i had to sort of fight my corner all the time yes and uh, but what made the job good interesting to me was that i was put in charge of the garden which at the time it's a it's a big it's quite a big campus and uh, there was a lot of tree planting to do a lot of things to do and uh, i enjoyed all that uh, that uh, working with students is is quite tough, actually. Uh, when you start, anyway, yeah, they they test you like hell, and uh, you learn a lot as you go along. But you just have to keep smiling. That's the important thing. <laughs> yes. A good sense of humour is essential. Uh, but uh, so I once I got settled down, I enjoyed I enjoyed lecturing. Actually, uh, I wasn't I say I wasn't trained at it. Yeah. I just enjoyed uh, the contact with the students and. We used to do practical work as well, practical, which they don't do now, do they? Uh, not so no. much, no. Uh, no. I'm afraid they don't. You know. no. I and seem uh, to remember having a, a practical in top dressing one day. <coughs> yes, really? But, yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't remember many others, yeah. No, well, we used to do the bed, you know, uh, every, pretty well every day there was some kind of cold. Yeah. Uh, 
In fact, I remember um, Mary Keane speaking to me one day because I was trying to dig a hole for her for a plant yeah. and her saying, don't they teach you anything at college? You're doing it all wrong. You know, <laughs> Don't they teach you how to dig a hole? <laughs> I don't know quite what I was doing wrong. But <laughs> no, well, I, uh, I mean, uh, we used to teach digging and, uh, and that was, uh, I used to, each student had a plot and used to have to dig their plot. And, uh, yes. And I, I used to enjoy all that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I finished up as a, a senior lecturer. I don't know why, but, I mean, I got older, I suppose. Did anybody know your name by then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they knew my name, my God, <laughs> yes. Uh, and you've got... A, a, so you're, you're basically working for a bunch of uh, farmers, basically, uh, at the top and then uh, commercial horticulturists underneath that but by then um, uh, uh, commercial horticulture was on the wane by the time I uh, this was sort of 19 late 1960s people were homing in on amenity horticulture as being the next great thing you see so they wanted to start courses in it so I started a course in uh, amenity horticulture at national diploma level what they called ordinary national diploma um and because there's an hn then became an hnd um and um I mean, that that um, that's where they made me a senior lecturer put, put me in charge of this course uh, and uh, that that went quite well i mean it's, uh, uh, and we took on some other courses um and uh so uh, I enjoyed my time there, but I never thought of myself ever as a long-term career uh, educationist. And I hated the idea of becoming a vice-principal or a principal because it's all chatting up people and trying to get money and uh, uh, move what I call moving chairs around, <laughs> which is you know more or less uh, you know, all the admin of, uh, of of the job, and I couldn't bear the thought of being a extracted from the garden, running the garden, which is what I enjoyed, and also extracted from uh, the con- direct contact with students all the time, which I I enjoyed, I loved actually, yeah. and so. Um, I um, I sort of looked around vaguely for another job, and then the job at uh, in the trust popped up, a short advert in the Times. Believe it or not. <laughs> Did you happen to job. be reading it on the right day, or yeah, was it drawn we, to your we attention? All, we always got the Times in the senior common room, and yes. I always used to read it. And it, um, I don't know. Somebody said to me, "Oh, somebody wants a guards advisor," and. Um, so I looked in it, and it was one of those extremely vague adverts that the trust was into those days, and they um, just said uh, wanted uh, you know um, a, a, a horticulturist, assistant to Graham Thomas, no, assistant to the gardens advisor. Didn't mention his name. Yes. Um, with no real information apart from that, uh, and. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll inquire. So I, I, inqu- I wrote, wrote and inquired, uh, and uh, they um, uh, wrote back and said, um, please telephone. You see, so I phoned, and they said, uh, asked me about what I was doing. Now, and this was the chief agent of the trust who wrote back, um, 
uh, and who phoned me back uh, and um, told him what I was doing. And he said, look, um, uh, and I said, well, is there anything written down? And he said, oh, yes, we've got it. Uh, and uh, the salary is a, a ridiculously low one, actually, <laughs> I thought. I didn't say so to him. But um, uh, And uh, he, pop in and see us sometime. Call in and see us. That's right. This was Queen no appointment. Anne. This is Queen Anne's Gate, you know. It's all yes. call in. And in fact, we were. We were on our way to Cornwall. And um, I called in, and the uh, this was Queen Anne's Gate, which is basically a couple of <coughs> very beautiful houses put together where everybody was uh, uh, all fuddy duddy people in there, you know. And fun, funny girls who. You know what I called Sloane girls, yes. who um, you know would be frightfully good accents. You know, <laughs> do come in and all that stuff, and uh, uh, bagging away at a, a typewriter. Yes, sometimes, but uh, and then these uh, land agents who ran the, the, the trust, or something, who were big sort of. Uh, sort of hairy land agents, you know, with uh, tweed tweed jackets on and everything, and they were ever, ever so nice to me. Um, took me on a little walk round the place, and I kept meeting, I kept bumping into people. Oh, yeah, this is this is the chief accountant, and you know, and then I go in and say, oh well, uh, perhaps you'd like to pop in and see the director general. I don't know what I tried. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, uh, they said, "Oh, we're going to tea soon." This was sort of mid-afternoon, and uh, they all got together for tea. And on the stairs, right, they, Lord Antrim, he's chairman of the trust. You know, you perhaps you'd like to meet. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, is this organised? Is this has this <laughs> been arranged? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, anyway, we walked around and we had nice chats for everybody. And that I hadn't realised, but it was at the time. But it was a kind of an interview, um, and so we—they uh, obviously got the feedback from these people. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, I said, "Well, I went back afterwards, and I said, well, 'Well, I'm sorry, but I mean, I can't afford to move to you. Would you like us to um, find you a house?' You see, because they would—they would give us. Uh, they don't do it now, mm. but." Um, uh, they would have found me a house or part of a, you know, somewhere nice. Anyway, it would be bound to be a nice place to live. And uh, uh, so I said, well, "Look, now I can't afford it because I'm on the, I'm on the the ladder. We bought a little bungalow and moved up to a, a, a house in in Chelmsford. And I can't. It, what happens when I retire? You know, <laughs> I shall have nothing." And so I want to go on. Oh, we understand. I said, well, look, the trouble is your salary is, is you know, less than I started with at Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> and they, oh, well, if, and the answer to that was, uh, well, uh, if it's only the salary that matters, don't let that put you off. <laughs> So, you know, it's a kind of a hint, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a broad hint. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, then eventually went for an interview, a proper interview, um, by which they'd time they'd weed out people. And this initial advertisement, 
they'd followed it up with one or two other advertisements. But it it actually attracted four hundred applicants, most of whom really? came from uh, were refugees from the uh, the parks <laughs> world, which were in decline at that point. Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely in decline, <laughs> yes. and uh, and they got even worse later on, of course, with so with Maggie Thatcher. Well, so you were offered the job, obviously. Yes, now, that's right. You um, joined the trust for the last couple of years, I think, of Graham Stewart-Thomas's uh, yes, residency, right. didn't yes, you? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I nearly called him sort of the unstoppable Graham Stewart-Thomas. Yes, I mean, he, he was, right. uh, from what I know of him, yeah. I haven't met him, uh, he was full of energy. He was um, obviously the garden's advisor at, yes. at the Trust, um, yeah. but he was also a writer, wasn't he? An author, yes. a skilled bot- botanical artist, I yes, think. Yes, um, yeah. And he also got the Veatch Medal and the RHS yeah. Gold Medal. Yeah. Um, I could go on, he was a... Yes. Vice patron of the Rose Society, oh, I think, etc., yes, uh, etc. Et um, I mean, any of us would be happy with any one of those sort of accolades, <laughs> wouldn't we? I mean, yeah. well, d- did he stop to breathe? I mean, yeah, w- well, was he as full of yeah, energy yeah, as worked, I imagine? Work was his life. We, he didn't understand holidays, and uh, he was a curious character. I, I spent a lot of time trying to fathom out his uh, his mot- motivation. I was interested to do that and. Uh, uh, and I never really solved him, but he, 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 his work was his life, and he also had a, a strong ambition to be always the best in anything that he looked at, uh, he dealt with. Uh, but he was um, fundamentally a nurseryman, uh, and he worked uh, 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 for, for years as a nurseryman, uh, and um, but um, and he took to writing um, when he sort of semi-retired, uh, and he only ever worked nine months a year for the trust. And he 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 uh, hibernated, as he said, in the winter. But he spent all that time. He, did, he never wasted a moment. Grant in the whole of his life, it was all purposeful. I bet he didn't have a television, did he? No, <laughs> no, no. He never watched the television, and. Uh, uh, he used to listen to music, but that was all very purposeful, you know. And then he would, uh, he had his recreations, but they were always purposeful things, you know, thought out in advance. This is what I do on a Thursday. Uh, this is what I do on a Sunday. And, and, um, but no, I shouldn't have said Sunday because it, weekends didn't mean anything to him. It, it was, he, life was just... It could have been a weekday, it didn't matter, yeah. And it was difficult for me because I used to have to follow him around initially to learn about the place. And, of course, he didn't understand I wanted him home on weekends. <laughs> so, and it was quite, quite hard work, really. On, but he never, he never interviewed me, curiously. Um, uh, it was George uh, Taylor, uh, who was director of Q, who was the main person interviewing me, uh, after this initial screening, yes. uh, which was quite seriously important. I, um, but George Taylor was uh, director at Q, and I was a student there, and I did quite well at Q. And so he remembered, <laughs> one place where I was remember, <laughs> remembered. <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, I think that served me in good stead, really. Uh, so... Uh, that's why I got appointed. And I'm quite sure that if Graham, had interv- Graham Thomas had interviewed me, he wouldn't have appointed me because <laughs> he wasn't my kind of person. I, I, I absolutely, we were chalk and cheese in many ways. 
um, in our uh, approaches to life and um, and uh, attitude to, to life. I got on very well with him, um, but uh, uh, so the first time I saw him, well, I knew him. I, I'd met him before, but only briefly, and I'd listened to a lecture on the trust gardens actually and that's what made me interested in the gardens um uh, and he uh, uh, so I mean, he was always absolutely charming he was a wonderfully polite person so he would never argue with anybody he would just walk away if, if there was a bad argument um he'd say his bit and he'd say well that's my view that's the end of it you know he would never get into a, a conversation uh, and he was always charming. And I went the first time when I was appointed. They sent me to to see him, and he had a big garden uh, at Woking West End um, in those days. And what he thought was a, a subtle uh, <laughs> point is he he said, uh, "Let's go for a little walk in the garden, shall we?" And so uh, uh, and he talked just like that, and. Uh, so walking around, he would say, "I expect you know that plant, don't you?" Uh, and uh, and expected me to give the name, which I, which I did, luckily. And uh, he was testing me out on all sorts of things, but mainly on on plant names and on uh, little things like ground cover and that sort of thing. And what? To, uh, and he was just testing me out I realised this you know within about 10 yards of walking around and he thought it was also wonderfully uh, clever to <laughs> so, uh, I thought oh god and uh, anyway um, uh, and I didn't hear the outcome of that but he clearly he relaxed after that because and, uh, somebody said uh, to him ask him about me he said oh well he'll do yes <laughs> <laughs> that was the answer. He'll do. Maybe that was a good best, sign. That's the best you ever got out of Graham. Yes. Uh, actually, he wasn't giving. He never gave away compliments very, very much. He hardly ever said you you've done well or anything. I've never heard him say that. Actually, he'd say that'll that's all right or that'll do or well, yes. th those are the kind of. And he was a perfectionist about writing about reports. Um, about getting things absolutely precise and, and and brief as well, you wouldn't think from where I'm talking. But I mean, he is he he used to write reports um, amazingly quickly after after each, and he taught me the, the system in the trust of visit twice a year, certainly once a year anyway, but mostly twice a year, uh, and. Uh, Write, always write a report immediately afterwards, uh, which would be in print within a week. And the, head, the gardener would get it via the land agent or whoever's managing the property within a fortnight. And that was always the, the rule we had. In fact, he used to write them in longhand uh, in the days when you had carbon paper underneath. He used to write. He used to work during the day. Sometimes even two gardens, two small gardens in a day. Uh, he would then uh, have a cup of tea, four thirty, and he would settle down. He would spend an hour or an hour and a half writing his reports, which he would get 
absolutely right, everything in them, and then on carbon paper, and then the next day he would triumphantly hand them to the foundation. <laughs> this is the report for yesterday. And I always thought that was... And he, was a, he was very much a one-upmanship person. You wouldn't believe it, but he was. It was a bit of competitiveness very there. Very competitive, yes. um, but just by showing how clever he was... He Not was, sporting. Not at all. No, no, no. no God heavens, no. <laughs> you are quite the reverse. Yeah. yeah. No, he was an aesthete. He was, um, as you know, he's he was a, a good, not wonderful botanical artist, but, you know, up there with, I mean, you see him in his books. He's, yes. He's quite good, good stuff, but... Uh, 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 there are better ones. Yes, better I, I heard he was a little bit strict in that the head gardeners had to call him Mr. Thomas. Is always, that correct? Yes. Was always. he Graham to you? Or was he Mr. Yeah, Thomas he to you? Graham to me. Graham yes, to you. Really. Yeah. But uh, only after he said, I, I originally called him uh, Mr. Thomas, and he said, well, uh, you know, after a month or so, he would say, oh, you just call him John, uh, Graham and yes. John. And, uh, as I remember it, there was only one head gardener. Whoever called him Graham, and he was allowed to, and that was Philip Cotton at uh, Cliveden, and because he'd he known him so well, and he one day said to him, "Just call me Graham," and that you know that was the. In those days, you didn't. You know, it was always Mr. Thomas. And, yeah. To uh, yeah to yeah. listeners today, that would be the Paul Hollywood handshake. Does that mean anything to yes, you? Exactly yes, exactly. Yes. I know what you mean. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't watch it much. <laughs> You've heard of it. I, I see the finals. Well, Lynn watches it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm going to whip out yeah. a photo, which I'm sure you've got the original of somewhere. Can you? Do you need glasses for this or not? I've got my glasses on. Does that, do you recognise anybody down this end, maybe? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. I've got a lot of those. So people. that is... Well, the day you were presented with was it the Veach Medal? No, that's that is actually a, a reunion ah. of uh, all people who've got uh, the what used to be called the uh, well, which is the VMH, yes, yes, uh, the VMH, Victoria Medal of Honor. So these are all the living uh, at the time. At that time, <laughs> yes. Well, there only ever is sixty-three of them. Oh, is that? Yeah, oh, right. It, okay. It's the number of years of Victoria's reign so uh, and so you had to wait for dead people yes to, you know, and to, you can slot in yeah. i mean just looking at it i mean i spotted a few there's valerie finnis down the front yes, um right. christopher lloyd of course uh, yes. roy lancaster's there yes, um, he is, is yeah. that adrian bloom i get the bloomers muddled up but i think uh, he's down the end somewhere right down there that's adrian yes that's graham right. stewart thomas of course with his yes, um always had a buttonhole i un yes, understand always did that yes. was another one up and all year round yeah, <laughs> yes and he would always uh, he always detests you, you see. Yes. I bet you don't know what that is. <laughs> and I got to know which ones he used to have. So. Yes. <laughs> Once you've been there a year, you, <laughs> yeah, you, know, the, you know the routine. And, of course, yeah. you're there, John, as well. I am there yes. somewhere. Yeah, I can't so uh, that was a reunion then, was it, of all of you? Yes. Uh, I mean, there were some love, wonderful people in that lot. I'd probably be able to... It's not a very good copy. Give me time, I would probably be able I'm to... I'm sure you'd name them all. Yes, George Sheard is there, I see him. And... Uh, is that Penelope Hophouse down that end, right down the far end? Yes, that's Penny Hophouse. Yes. yes, I had contacts, quite a lot of contacts with her. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I was the one who really got her into 
um, the place in Somerset. So, and that was all a bit of a scandal. But I won't go into that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so uh, very interesting. A lot of people. Uh, Charles Conway, of course, who was a uh, who I came into contact later with uh, at Chelsea. Of course, oh, yes. I, I did a lot. Of, I was asked to go and judge at Chelsea. Well. I, Assess at Chelsea, yes. but I didn't judge. In those <laughs> Judging was done by the council, so he was quite a formidable character to deal with. That's Charlie Puddle there. I don't know him. Uh, is it Bodnant? Yes, quite a day. Uh, it was a great day, yes. actually. Um, quite amazing, um, and it was the it was an anniversary. I think it was the centenary. Was it centenary? So, so where was that? That at uh, the uh, the hall. Yes. To, um, Vincent Square. Yes. Well, let's go from Vincent Square to yeah. Gloucestershire, because yeah. I assume you were instrumental in setting up the head, the National Trust offices in Sarcester, Gloucestershire. Yes, yes, in a way. Um, when I joined the Trust, um, uh, the advisors, there weren't many advisors, uh, and uh, they all operated from home, with, and Lynn was my secretary, um, so we, I started off, well, Graham used to work that way, he used to have a secretary, uh, a local part-timer, and, uh, and the point was that John Workman, who was the forestry advisor, uh, lived at, uh, at Painswick. Uh, and uh, he was in the area, and he was a kind of important character in the Trust, an influential character in the Trust, uh, and he said, oh, well, we ought to set up a, an office. And I said, I don't particularly want to have an office. I mean, I'm perfectly happy working, you know, from home. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, the trust was growing in those days and they wanted to centralise the, um, the, the advisors. So, in fact, we, we eventually set up a, a, a place in Sirencester, which... And, and I only came to Science. We only we came to Sirencester because we chose Sirencester to live in. That, uh, oddly enough, so that's how it, yeah. um, it was. Literally, Lynn and, and, and I we sat around the table. So we're, originally, I was in Chelmsford, and I didn't move because um, uh, initially, because if I the, if Graham Thomas had taken a dislike to me, or the National Trust had taken a dislike to me, I'd been out on my ear. If I hadn't succeeded him, I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't have stayed with the trust, and I'd gone back into education. So I didn't move initially, but once I knew the job was mine, Graham Thomas's job was mine, I, um, uh, we moved, and uh, they said, well, where do you want to live? That's the thing the trust used to say in those days. <laughs> I said, well, uh, we'll think about it. And so we sat around the table, and we looked at the map, and I said, well, look, the gardens are more south and north, more west than east. Uh, and uh, so somewhere we sort of looked at the map and uh, uh, we chose Sirencester because it was, you know, a good central point. Same reason why the Romans had it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you could get, it was good rail to London. There was, you know, you could get north, you could get west, and you didn't have London in the way, uh, which was the trouble with, with Chelmsford. Uh, so, um, and we just simply, um, and it was, you know, quite a reasonable school here. Uh, 
and uh, a nice place to live, that's the point. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you, John. I hope you all enjoyed that. It was a real insight into John's early years and a peek behind the scenes of the National Trust as it was in the early 70s. In the next part of our talk, we find out more about a life spent working on some of the finest gardens in the country and some of the horticulture's biggest names get into the story too. Next, I catch up with my longtime gardening pal Jeff Carr for our regular feature of a product review. What will be discussed today? I'm in the greenhouse for another product review and I'm with my mate Jeff Carr, jeffreycarr.co.uk. Morning Jeff. Morning Jeff. Jeff's holding the equipment so that I can explain and demonstrate. Uh, Jeff, um, I'm not taking my clothes off. Good. But I'm taking my clothes off. Bad. One layer at a time. (laughs) I'll start at the top just so I can show you what it is that has changed my life. Just going to undo my fleece. <laughs> That's as far as I'm going. Now, so this item is a long, Y-shaped piece of elastic that has leather thongs on the end, and you attach it to your trousers. And what are they? Do you know? I've always seen you as a sort of belt and braces sort of person, <laughs> and now you've just summed it up for me. Well, I haven't got a belt but I do have braces. Now, <laughs> you're probably wondering, you know, how does this fit into uh, the product review? And I'll tell you why, Jeff, because these braces have changed my life. You've got your trousers, you've got some black trousers on today, I've got black trousers on, pockets in the side, etc. As gardeners, we often have uh, secateurs attached, we might have pockets full of this, pockets full of that, pen knives, string, pebbles, badger skulls, whatever we find in the garden, seeds. And that weight pulls your trousers down. Now, you know, just walking around, it's not never a problem. But because as a gardener, we're always getting up, getting down, I always find that every 15 minutes, I was standing up and have to pull my trousers up. You'd have gloves on covered in mud. So your trousers would be covered. So you'd have to take your gloves off just to pull your trousers up. Now, I spent one evening sewing on um, two, four, six buttons onto my trousers that would receive these leather thongs, I think that's probably the right word, for my braces. You know, I had to sit through Downton Abbey and, uh, and sewed on these buttons all by myself. Um, I did use an extra strong thread. Now, it's really changed my life. I can garden, I can get up, I can get down, I can hang upside down from the uh, tripod ladder and um, trousers stay exactly where I left them. Um, what do you reckon? As soon as you revealed your leather thong, I was taken. That <laughs> I thought, this is the way forward. I can see the reason for this. There's three things that come to mind that make them really practical. One is that horrible feeling you get when you've been working all day, you're bending over, you're kneeling down and you stand up and your shirt's untucked and it's uncomfortable and you have to stand around and tuck your shirt back in and you're constantly doing that all day so I can see that that would alleviate that problem straight away number two is in the summer when you're working outside and you're bending over and uh, if you're in a south facing garden your t-shirt comes up and the, the belt isn't supporting your trousers enough and you get a band of sunburn right across your back (laughs) so i can see the advantages for the summer and number three 
perfect for the winter when you're cold you want to keep the lumbar region warm if you're outside working again you're bending over and you get that lumbar region exposed not good so I'm sold. I'm going to. I'm going to get myself some braces. I recommend it. I mean, you can get clip-ons. I've got some. I've tried some others before that were quite wide. I mean, I'd say they were almost inch and a half, not if not two inches wide, that clipped on. But I never got on with them. Um, certain fabrics aren't thick enough, so they come unclipped. Um, button on, you're secure. Yeah. You, you feel. <laughs> you yeah. feel safe. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that you point out all those benefits which isn't just holding your trousers up they do keep your shirt tucked in yeah. uh, and I think modern shirts probably they, they save on fabric by not giving you the tails as long as you would like and so your shirts when you're getting down in the border are always poking out and you, nothing that uh, the lady of the house wants more than to see uh, a full moon on a bright summer's day so well, it's um, just uncomfortable as well with your shirt wrapped up around yeah. your middle it doesn't work yeah um, so uh, yeah I mean you know it sort of seems like a jokey novelty uh, gadget, uh, not gadget, um, product to uh, to mention. But uh, you know, to me, it's really made a difference for the sake of, I don't know, I can't, I've had these well now, but uh, eight quid or something. And, and as I say, uh, sitting, sitting down on a Sunday night uh, and sewing them on, it, it, it's been brilliant. So give it a go. I'll never let it be said that this podcast is taken away by bright lights and whizzing bells because we're dealing with real practical things here. <laughs> we are, absolutely. And um, I'm going to ask Jeff to take a picture of me looking like, um, was it Cannon and Ball? Rock on, Tommy, in a minute. So, uh, okay. Here, take a snap and I'll get that on uh, Facebook or somewhere like that for you all to see. Jeff, thanks for your time. That's my mate, Jeff Carr, jeffreycarr.co.uk. Anything else to say, Jeff? Thanks, Geoff. We're done. That's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Geoff Elphick, and you can catch up with me on Twitter at Geoff Elphick. Another huge thank you to my amazing sponsors, My Window Box, and you can find them at mywindowbox.com. Beautiful period style and modern window boxes in cast aluminium or steel with drop-in or freestanding troughs that match. Pop over to their website and have a look at what they've got to offer and bring the garden to your window. In the meantime, may your secateurs be very well honed and your box remain free of blight. I'll see you next time.